morning, Outlook family. Sure is good to see everyone this morning. I'm glad to be with you. <laughs> You're very sweet, Prue. Uh, I have been gone for a couple weeks. Apparently, she's ha- happy about that I'm back, and I'm g- very glad to be back. Although I have to say, Prue and everyone else, uh, the preaching was so good while I was gone, it wouldn't bother me at all if you were like, you can take a couple more weeks off. Am I right? It really was that good. Thanks to Zach Leslie, our next-gen student minister, Kate Mangano, our Care and Connection minister, two of our pastors. Man, listening to Zach's message, I was ready to persevere and run this race and never, ever, ever give up. Hearing Kate, I was inspired to put my faith into tangible, ethical action. I mean, two really great preaching, uh, great sermons, great preaching, and I really just want to give it up for those two. I really appreciate that. Let's pray together now as we prepare our hearts for today's sermon, which I'm really uh, looking forward to getting into. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you'd be with us today. We ask, God, that as our, we've had this beautiful opportunity to open our hearts to you in worship, to let the warmth and the light of your love shine into our souls, which can throughout the week, let's admit it, get pretty dark and cloudy at times. And Lord, the clarity and the, 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 the clear skies, the, the, the warmth, the goodness of your spirit, uh, Lord, we welcome that. We ask, God, that as our hearts are now open, that as we open your word, you, Holy Spirit, would do your amazing work. Take these words uh, from your scriptures, plant them in our hearts, and change us to make us more like your son. Lord, this world is a place in which hope can be hard to find. Help us to be people of hope. It can be a place in which uh, love uh, can uh, only be some weird counterfeit version of itself. Help us to truly love. Help us to share that same warmth and light that we receive from you wherever we go. We ask that all this would happen because we're worshiping you and hearing your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for praying with me. We are starting a brand new series this morning called Back to Basics. We're going to take the time to put first things first, to remember what matters most. In this series, we're going to do some self-examination. We're going to ask ourselves whether or not our lives are living up to our values. We're going to look at times at that gap between what we know to be true and how we see ourselves and how we live. We're going to get back to basics. We're going to find ways to put into practice the precious truths that we believe. Now, you might be a student, you might have students in your house, maybe grandkids, maybe you serve in uh, our local schools. It's back to school time, right? School has started, and I got to tell you, I love back to school supplies. Did anyone remember back when you, if you're not in school now, anyone remember back to getting all those uh, sharpened pencils and fresh folders, or is it just me? Am I the only one that enjoys that? I don't don't think I am. Okay, I'm going to... Now, when I was a kid in elementary school, this new thing came out. It's called a trapper keeper. Remember those? It had this newfangled thing called Velcro on it, even. And it was awesome. And it was like uh, the choice at the beginning of the school year, late uh, summer, you're getting into August. Back when I was a kid, we didn't start till a little later in August. But, uh, and that choice of that trapper keeper that you're going to carry with you for the rest of the school year, at least that's how it feels, right, man, that was an important choice. Remember one year I had one, uh, had like a flying saucer on and something epic, and I just thought that was the coolest thing in the world, right? The choice of a trapper keeper. Don't underestimate that. Let me, let me just give you some insight. Tamara and I are alike in this fact. We go to Staples for fun, okay? Don't judge. 
It's not the only thing we do for fun, but we do go to Staples for fun, and it's enjoyable. <laughs> let, me, let me just tell you. Take a field trip to Staples this week and get some fresh pencils or a pen or something. I don't know. It'll be a good time. All right. We're going to uh, open our Bibles today to John chapter 3. If you, didn't, uh, if you don't have your Bible with you and you'd like to grab one from those cards in the back, you're more than welcome to. You can even get up right now. Guess what? We're in church. You can get up and grab a Bible. No problem. You can go grab a Bible from there. If you don't own an, an easy-to-read copy of the Bible, write your name in the front of one of those. Take it home with you to keep. Maybe you got an app, or I'll have the verses on the screen as well. But feel free to get your eyeballs on some Scripture this morning. We're going to be on page 725 of those Bibles from the cart. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture that could be described as Jesus takes a teacher to school. Jesus takes a teacher to school. We're going to start in verse 1. Are you ready? Me too. Here we go. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. Talking about miracles, that clearly that, that God was with this new up-and-coming rabbi named Jesus. Now, Nicodemus was very high up in the authority structure that was the Jewish faith of Jesus' day. And so we see him coming to Jesus with spiritual questions. And this is just a quick aside, but it's a good reminder. Many times religion becomes all about the organizational structure and who's in charge, right? That's authority uh, for authority's sake. And here's Nicodemus. He is questioning, he's learning, he's maybe even a bit the distance that that authority creates, which you should be wary of, um, that distance can create some blindness. He's not, he's not sure what to make of the fact that God is with this rabbi or what's going on. And so we should also be cautious if we're a part of a church that has people um, powering up over one another. Instead, we should be looking for a church and be a part of a church that celebrates and embraces the fact that we are all in this journey together as fellow disciples. So here, here's this guy. He's got, he's got some authority in this power structure, but he comes to Jesus, and we see here he comes at night, likely not to be seen, right? Doesn't know if he should associate himself with this new rabbi, doesn't want to get um, kind of labeled as a follower of this rabbi just yet. But Jesus doesn't hang that over his head. Jesus can see a couple things about Nicodemus. He can see that he was hungry and he was curious. And if you're here this morning, whether you're with me here in the room or you're with us online, I'm just glad we're together. And I bet you're somewhat hungry and curious too. Even if you've been walking with Jesus for a good long time, I hope this morning you got some hunger and maybe even some curiosity that after all, the, all these years, you might still be refreshed or reminded or even learn something new this morning. Not from me, from the Holy Spirit, from these scriptures that will satisfy that curiosity and that hunger. He was hungry. He was curious. And he needed to size Jesus up. If you're searching for truth, you're trying to figure out what life is all about, if you're exploring what spirituality means, that's good. Keep, keep on that journey. But as you navigate that landscape, you're going to keep running into this guy, Jesus. So size him up. Give him a full hearing. 
and you're going to have to decide, what am I going to do with this rabbi named Jesus? Nicodemus seemed to sense that. So he seeks him out, and now he's having this nighttime conversation with him. Rabbi, we know you're from God. And here's how Jesus replies, back to the passage. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God. In other words, you're seeking God here. The kingdom of God, the reign, the rule of God, the activity of God, the reality of God. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are. And at this point, you have to imagine Nicodemus is leaning forward just a little bit. Like, you can't see the kingdom of God unless you are. What's Jesus going to say? His answer, born again. Unless you are born again, or in the original language it can also be translated equally, born from above. It's okay, they both are saying the same thing. Born a second time. You can't see God's kingdom unless you experience a spiritual rebirth. Born again. Now, we got to stop right here for a second, don't we? Because in our culture, in our day, the term born again can have certain connotations for us. We might think of a TV preacher with a huge comb over. Maybe you do. Telling us you must be born again. Or some straight, very straight-laced, button-down person carrying a really big Bible, waving it at us and telling us you must be born again. Now, the words are true, but the intent behind them and the vibe that's there, we might recognize. And it's not as true. It's not. That vibe is not as helpful. Usually, usually people who are using this term in those contexts are using it to make other Christians feel like they don't measure up. Ever been made to feel like you don't measure up? That Using it that way drains the mystery and the beauty out of Jesus Words. So let's reclaim this term as the Bible uses it and as Jesus meant it. Jesus is saying to Nicodemus that following him is like being reborn, that God is in the business of providing people brand new life. Now this kind of talk doesn't end with Jesus. We hear him using this phrase here, uh, but it, this is not the only place in the New Testament that we hear it. His followers in the early church kept it going because they were experiencing it. Newness of life is how Paul describes it to the Romans. Here's a further sampling. In 1 Peter chapter 1, we read that he's, he's writing to these Christians, for you have been born again. Not just to a life that will quickly end. That's this physical life. But don't confuse this physical life with all of life or even with real and true life. Your new life, Peter says, will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. Paul to the Corinthians famously says, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. So before we get back to our story of Nicodemus, let's get a firm grip on this first point, a very important point, following Jesus, becoming a Christian, being born again, however it can, uh, it might be phrased, is more than a decision we make or made more than a religious exercise, it means more than just going to heaven when we die or getting our prayers answered here on earth. It's a new life. It's a supernaturally changed life, like being reborn. Now, let this be a reminder to us if we're already a believer and an invitation to you if you're not yet a believer. 
If you're exploring what this means, then this is a good place to be. And I would encourage you, go to outlookchurch.org yes if you're with us online. Scan that QR code on the seat back nearby. Let us know that you'd like to start that conversation about what it might mean to say yes to this Jesus. We would love to start that conversation with you. As it says in John chapter 1, to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn. Someone say reborn. Let's do that one more time. Reborn. Because that is absolutely the point here. Not with a physical birth, John writes, resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. A birth that comes from God so we can be children of God. God is our Father, not our taskmaster, not the school principal that calls us into his office when we're in trouble, not even that absent watchmaker that you might have heard about who winds up the whole world and then just leaves it to wind down. But our Father, that's what he wants to be to us. Now, three quick observations about what it means to be reborn as a child of God. First, it means we can't earn it. Our kids didn't earn the right to be our kids. Am I right? That's ridiculous to even think about. They are just our kids, if you happen to have children. In fact, they had no choice in the matter, did they? That's a whole other sermon, isn't it? Jesus said to his disciples, you didn't choose me, I chose you. Indeed, it's kind of the same with us. God did not ask our permission before he sent his son to rescue us, to open the door to a relationship with him. He chose and determined that we were worth it. Only if we'll only accept what he's already chosen to do. It's a gift to be received. Now, it's also a gift that might be rejected. But it's also a gift to be received, and we can't earn it. Second thing it means is that we belong to a family. This is awesome news. You heard in the video a minute ago that this is, this is a month in which we talk a lot about, even more than normal, our groups here at Outlook. The chance to belong and to get to know and be supported by brothers and sisters in Jesus. He says in John chapter 14, I won't leave you as orphans, I'll come to you. Jesus promises that he gives us his spirit and brings us to his Father. And that when we're reborn... We gain a relationship with God as Father and with others who have been also reborn, and they are our brothers and sisters. And that is called the church. There can be some confusion today about what the church really is. But know this, it is not just the place where you shop or get your religious goods and services. And it's not a place where you kind of watch a program or feel like it's a show. It is a family, a community of people experiencing the rebirth of Jesus together, receiving instruction, teaching on what that life looks like as we live it together, getting in community, and then enjoying the opportunity to minister in mission locally in their church and around the world. That is what a church is. And it's nothing other than that. Third thing it means is that we are loved no matter what. Not only do we belong as we believe, not only do we have support, but God loves us no matter what. Fall is right around the corner. And I was remembering one autumn when my son Elijah was about eight. He grabbed a rake. And he told me he'd like to rake some leaves. He'd been seeing me do that. 
He grabbed that rake, and I didn't come by when he finished his raking and point out to him all the leaves that he'd missed. I didn't berate him on his obviously underdeveloped sense of leaf perception. I was proud of him for working and blessed that he cared enough to do that and to try to help. When he was finished, it wasn't all about the things he left undone when he said, Dad, I'm done, right? I saw his heart, not just his actions. I love him no matter what because I'm his father, just as my father in heaven loves me and just as he loves you. It's good to be a child of God, to be born into his family. One more verse here, Galatians chapter 6. The Apostle Paul is addressing some religious hang-ups that Christians were having uh, about men being circumcised, something from the old Jewish law. And this is what he writes, and it is powerful. It doesn't make any difference, Paul wrote now, whether we have been circumcised or not. Catch this. What counts is whether we have really, whether we really have been changed into new and different people. Let's read that last part one more time. What counts? Back to the basics here. What matters most? First things first. What counts is whether we have been changed into new and different people. What an audacious claim our faith makes. This talk that from my inside out, God wants to actually rebirth me as a human being, that he wants to take what's in me, that as his love lands on my soul, as I begin to understand the truth of what Jesus has done for me, and this is true for you too, as that begins to happen, things come alive in me and in you that I didn't even know were there. I'm being reborn. God knew the whole time. And I'm becoming a new and different person. Circumcision was a religious act of becoming a Jew. The mere adherence to the law, that's far from the point this passage tells us in our new faith. We're now talking about rebirth, an audacious claim. This last verse gets us quite well back to our conversation between Nicodemus, an expert in the Jewish law, and Jesus, because Jesus was moving Nicodemus from religion to relationship from this idea of following the rules, which uh, Nicodemus would have been very good at, to something to be a love relationship to be received and enjoyed. From something he had figured out or thought he had to something he had to receive. So let's pick it up in verse 4. Back to Nicodemus talking here. How can anyone be born when they are old, he asks. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Now, of course, that's ridiculous. But you can sense Nicodemus's panic and confusion. Jesus, you're talking about the kingdom of God and seeing it. I want to do that. But being born a second time, this thing that you've just said, this knowledge you've just dropped, I don't get it. How am I supposed to accomplish that? Key question. Because the answer, of course, is that Nicodemus can't. No one can no matter how sharp your pencils are or how organized your trapper keeper is. You can't, and neither can I. And that's the problem with religion, so to speak, which is exactly where Nicodemus is coming from. Maybe some of us come from there too. Trying to accomplish tasks or complete exercises when God wants a relationship with us to rebirth us 
into the people he created us all along to be. God's more interested in our being than our doing. More on that in just a moment. God isn't aiming for our best intentions and our greatest efforts. His goal is a relationship with us as our Father so we can experience and enjoy life in Him. New life. Renewed, reborn life. Now I can begin to imagine the wonder Nicodemus must have begun to feel as Jesus described these things to him. A whole different way of thinking about, approaching, and living in God. God that he was an expert at knowing all about. I don't know how you read this, but I think Nick's a good guy. Nicodemus is a perfectly, his, his heart is in a good place. He's a seeker of truth. He wants to do the right thing. But what a wonder it must have been to hear that he'd been approaching it backwards. See, you don't do all the right things in hopes of being made new or born anew. We turn to God and let Him love us and renew us, and then those right things, those behaviors, so to speak, begin to grow out of us. In other words, we don't change as in the verb, course, of action, meaning I don't just try hard. I'm going to really grip my teeth and white knuckle this thing and watch me. I'm going to change. Instead, we are changed as in an adjective, a state of being. We are being changed. Let's listen some more. Uh, let's listen in some more on Jesus and Nicodemus. Verse five, Jesus answers, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God, he's restating his initial point, without being born of water, physical birth, and the spirit, spiritual birth. And then he reiterates this to make his point even clearer. Flesh gives birth to flesh. In other words, we all know exactly what that looks like, and, and we've all been born, we've seen that happen, and everyone we know has experienced it, right? Flesh gives birth to flesh. He says, but there's more. Spirit, the spirit gives birth to spirit. So don't try, just receive. No need, here's another way that I describe it. I know I do this a lot, but I think it's really helpful word picture for me. If, if we think about God being up there, then I need to work as hard as I can to increase my vertical so I might one day reach or experience or touch God. But what is happening here, and what is happening here in the realest and truest of ways is God has come down and he is like Nicodemus sitting right across from us. He is with us, choosing to sit across the table from me and for you, and giving me a gift, inviting me to be born again. We don't study our way into it. We receive it. We follow it. As it says in Ephesians chapter 2, this is the message paraphrase, but I think it's a beautiful way to describe, speaking of God here, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. That's new birth. He's, we are now alive in a whole new way. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. That is beautiful and it's true. And it's beautiful because it's true. Now what does this mean for someone who's been walking with Christ for years? Maybe that's you. Consider this morning a reminder and an encouragement. Be alive 
in Christ. Let this be a reminder that He wants to renew us. That wasn't just something that happened once. It began, but now we get to experience it. It is a gift we get to open and reopen. And we get to enjoy and experience again, not once, but all our lives. Experiencing this new life. Be alive in Christ. Keep leaving behind that sin-dead life as we read there. Choose to keep receiving. Stay open to this new life. Let God do new things in you. Let Him grow you in new ways. Stay open and pliable to that. Keep choosing it. Jesus continues with Nicodemus, You shouldn't be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. What's he saying here? Saying, in other words, there's something more, man. There's something deeper. You sense it in the mystery of the wind. You can't control it or quite contain it. You don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with the work of the Spirit in you. The mystery seeks to now live in you. Keep receiving that gift. And again, if you're, this is something that's new to you, you're exploring it, just know this. This gift is here for you to open. And it's not one of those don't open till Christmas kind of gifts, right? Or it's not one of those where the, someone else's name is on the gift tag. Don't count yourself out of that. This gift that we're talking about here, this invitation, this opportunity to experience a new and reborn life is for every single one of us. Your name's on that tag, and there's no reason to wait to open it. You are not excluded from that opportunity. Speaking of going back to school, this is a little formula that I want to share with you, and we'll come back to it repeatedly uh, throughout the series. But what we're talking about here is Jesus is dropping some truth onto Nicodemus. He's giving, he's teaching him something, and now Nicodemus is knowing something he didn't know before. This is all of us. This is happening right now. Jesus is doing it for us through this passage. We are now across the table from Jesus, just like Nicodemus was. And we're learning something new, or at least being reminded of it, knowing it hopefully in a new and deeper way. And when we know something new, when we get that truth from Jesus, it will change who we are and how we see ourselves. And this is an important thing to realize that being, I mentioned it earlier, comes before doing. That what religion, and Nicodemus would have been a pro at this, is all about doing, right? Give me any kind of ethical checklist, I will. I will check it off. I will master that list. I will get it done. Doing is what religion is all about. But doing only works when it flows out of our being. When we get these backwards, we get a lot wrong in our lives. But when we learn something new and it changes how we see ourselves and our own identity, and then from that identity we begin to live in new ways, you got something really good here. Now here's the other point. The knowledge that we're all receiving through a passage like this one and countless others. That knowledge lands on you and me. I don't get to make this up. Jesus is our teacher, right? You don't get to make it up or decide which knowledge or truth or teaching applies to you. It all does. It's all, it all comes from God. We receive it. But how that looks for you, the being that you get to um, kind of grow into, that won't be just like me. You should not try to be just like me, and I won't try to be just like you, but we both should be just, try to be just like Jesus, right? In other words, this is the common denominator. 
This is the thing that we all begin to know, and as we do, we will change into new and different people, like we just read. We will find ourselves living that out in our own ways. God had an idea when he decided you should be born. Sin has marred and, and clouded that idea. Being reborn brings it out in full bloom that you can be the person God had in mind from the beginning and live a new life. We'll talk more about that in the weeks ahead. But there is a gift here to be received. Is the wind of the Spirit blowing? You bet it is. Am I being changed? Am I letting it blow on and through me? This is our final point. We've seen so far that without a doubt, Jesus boldly promises that in Him is true and new life. That turning to Him is akin to actually being reborn. We've also seen through this conversation with Nicodemus, the religious leader, that this Jesus life is at its base about relationship with God as our Father and with us as His children and us as siblings. We now see that the supernatural mystery of this life is that we become people the people God intended. The men and the women, the mothers and the fathers and the daughters and the sons and the students and the leaders and the thinkers and the lovers and the children of God He designed us to be. And that recurring theme that we see so often, I just alluded to it a minute ago in the Bible, is the idea that our truest and best selves are hidden and marred by the selfish crud of our own minds and hearts and the darkness of our societies and our misguided philosophies. We need reborn. We need reborn. God sees it clearly. He looks down into my soul and into yours and He says, we need an overhaul. We need to start from scratch. I want to rebirth this human being that I had in mind and that I created, the true and best self of which I've been referring to, can be freed when we give our lives to Christ and let Him reboot us. That's another way to think about this. Think about when your computer's got a virus and it's just, it's a mess. What do you need to do? Reboot that whole operating system, right? Start from scratch, reload the whole thing, and start from the beginning. This idea of being reborn or rebooted is not just a somewhat improved version of my old life. It's a brand new life. I remember the night that my life was truly rebooted. I think about the video we just saw of our students in their groups, and it really takes me back to my own story. Some of you have heard this, but guess what? I'm going to say it again. I'm going to tell the story again. I'd gone to church my whole life, and even though that was true, and at one time I made a decision to follow Jesus, I was kind of like Nicodemus. I knew a lot of religious things. I was pretty good at churchy things. But one night as a high school senior, one of the adult student ministry leaders asked a question of the group. And I mean, it was the question. She asked, if, you're gonna, if you were to die tonight, what makes you think you'd go to heaven? Now, this is not the most congenial way to tell people the good news of Jesus. One can argue about some of its theological implications, but at the same time, man, in that moment, its truth and directness hit me like a train because I knew I wasn't right with God. Sure, my decision in baptism at an earlier age, coupled with His amazing grace, could have made me feel comfortable enough to answer that question, but I was not comfortable. I was convicted. Something was cutting me deep, and it went beyond and much deeper than just considering my salvation as a life insurance policy, despite the question. I knew my life wasn't headed in the right direction. Nowhere good. I wasn't who God had created me 
to be. I had no real relationship with him. I needed reborn. That's exactly what ended up happening. I acted on that conviction. That's a key ingredient, by the way, acting on that conviction. I stayed later than everyone else that night. I prayed with some friends and those leaders, and I got myself right with God. I asked him to forgive me for the fact that I had been ignoring him. And I can literally say, honestly say, that since that night, I have never been the same. I've never gone back or even thought of going back to life as I'd known it before. My life was truly rebooted, reborn. My speech was different. The words I chose to use or stop using, the jokes I told or the ones I laughed at changed. The way I saw people changed, my habits changed. And no one really had to tell me or go over some sort of list that said this thing or the other is wrong. I just found myself losing the desire to do them because it was being replaced, this is key, with a hunger for something else. The Spirit of God had taken up residence in my heart and life, and I saw everything and everyone with these brand new eyes. It was a miracle. It's the same miracle that made Nicodemus lean back in his chair and say, how can anyone be born a second time? And to make Jesus lean forward and say, let me tell you all about it. Now, some can look back at a moment in time as I can. For others, it's more of a process. Everyone's story is unique. Some much more dramatic than mine. Some perhaps less so. It's not the point. It makes no difference. The promised results are the same. I was changed. But not less myself. Rather, more myself than ever. My truest self. Myself as God intended. That's what Jesus is teaching Nicodemus. Now, we know that Nicodemus responded to what he heard Jesus say. He shows up later in the biography of Jesus here in the scriptures. After Jesus is brutally executed on the cross and nearly all of his disciples have fled in fear, it is Nicodemus, along with another guy named Joseph, who asks the authorities for Jesus' body. They lovingly place it in Joseph's tomb. And Nicodemus himself bring 75 pounds of spices and aloe to prepare the body. It was his loving offering to the one who had introduced him to true life. And one can't help but wonder, I certainly do, that as Nicodemus took the body of Jesus from the hill of the cross, was he hearing these words from their secret nighttime discussion? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Let's let those same words kind of ring in our ears and in our souls as we take the bread and the cup this morning. If you found these on your way in, I'd invite you to take the bread and the cup. Jesus asks us when we gather for worship to pause and to remember what he's done for us. He said that the bread represents his body broken for us, or as we just read here, the fact that God loves so much that he gave his one and only son. Changes everything. Allows us to be reborn. Let's take and eat together. And when we 
take the cup, we do the same thing. We remember the sacrifice of Jesus. It represents his blood shed for us, for the forgiveness of our sins, the very thing necessary that we can experience and enjoy new life. Let's take and drink together. Let's pray. Lord, help us in our hours and days ahead to use our imaginations and picture ourselves across the table from you. You telling us the way you told Nicodemus. Maybe something we've heard many, many times, but let it, Lord, help us to, to let it land on us afresh. You must be born again. The wind is blowing. It blows wherever it pleases. That's your Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, to receive that mystery, to, to again, experience and enjoy it. Let those words land on us brand new this week as we sit with you wherever we are, in the car, in the office, in our classrooms, in our kitchens. Let us sit across from you and contemplate with you in prayer what it means to be born in a whole new way. Lord, we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.